0: Great. Please do have a seat. Thank you very much to the worship team for this morning. So, if you've been around the last few weeks, what we've been looking at is uh, the three themes of being set free, of living free, and this morning we move on to look at what it is to be bringing freedom. So, just to recap that again, we're set free in that when we meet Jesus, we are set free from that which has held us in the past. We're born again, we're brought into that new life that any He can bring. When we're in that place, we're then living free. We need to maintain that sense of living in that freedom that Jesus can bring. That's our personal holiness. That's our commitment to the ways of God. And then the challenge is that it's not just about us. It goes beyond that to this challenge then of bringing freedom. And over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to look at. I'm going to launch that this morning. And here to help us do that is a clip from Isaiah. Now, 2,700 years ago, Isaiah wrote this. He didn't record this. Someone else recorded it on his behalf. If you've got a Bible, we're in Isaiah 58, verses 6 to 14. Uh, but it's going to come up on the screen. Uh, watch the video. Listen to what God would say to his people 2,700 years ago and what he would say to us again this morning as well. It's so Isaiah 58.
1: Isaiah chapter 58. Verses 6-14 Is this not the fast that I have chosen, says the Lord, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day... And call the Sabbath of delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable. And shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. O Lord our God, we pray, revive us in this dark day that we live. Repair the breach, Father. Repair the breach, we pray, in Jesus' name. I don't know
0: what state you think that the church in the UK is at currently, but I have this sort of thought that actually the problem is that we're so often in a really difficult place because as a church in the UK, we're so often known for what we're against rather than what we're for. If you get a glimpse just of what's going on in the media, the way that the church is portrayed is often seen as outdated. It's seen as irrelevant and when it does speak, it seems to be going against the flow of where the rest of society is going. In fact, in many ways, we seem to be the organisation that's stopping people exploring freedom, rather than the very organisation that should be bringing the freedom that Jesus talked about. And at the same time, I guess we're trying to, to reach a group of people who, in this county at least, seem to have some mythological concept still remaining as to what Christianity should be like, and maybe was like once. The Vicar of Bodmin told me last week that in the last year alone, 100 babies from non-Christian families in Bodmin Town were baptised in the parish church. 100 babies. And he said the challenge is how we take people from seeing the faith as something that you just turn up to and do once. Maybe you might do Christmas and Easter as well. To actually realising that faith is something that could transform your life forever. So what is it in those 100 plus families in the town I come from at least, that are thinking, there's something here I still want to connect in with? What is it that's there mythologically that they're searching for and maybe not find him? You see, so often Christianity can come across as something pretty safe. So I thought we'd have a little Google. I like to have a little Google when I'm preparing a sermon, I'm trying to keep on track with the sermon as I prepare it. So I thought, let's Google and put in Christian men and see what you get. Ready for this one? Some of you ladies are getting excited. You're going to be sincerely disappointed. <laughs> so that's your first screen. Interesting sort of range. Gents, you might be a bit more pleasantly surprised and then realize how sad this image is too when you put Christian women in. See, there's something sort of perfect or pathetic, I don't know, that's out there. Twee, yeah, good word a certain sort of glamour that seems to come, that seems to be how people are betrayed. Not the reality of those of us who sat in the food bank this week and worked with those who walked in the door. Not the reality of you in your workplace this week. You tried to speak up for Jesus and just found that the opportunities would just seem to clash as you sort of share something of him. You see, Christianity is sometimes seen as odd if it's not seen as safe. And if it's not seen as odd, then it's seen as something safe and something that we can just carry on with. In oblivion, if you like. And then we come to church and we sing and we pray and we pledge ourselves to be people who will bring freedom. We talk about being set free. We talk about living free. And then we talk about bringing freedom. And what an amazing mission God has given us to bring this good news to this needy world. But You know, in the same way, we don't often help ourselves. So actually, so much of what is portrayed about us can seem a little odd. I used to run a youth club in the outskirts of Oxford many years ago and was delighted when some of the young people I started to work with there as a secular youth club started to come to the little church that we were also part of. One of them was nine years old at the time. He came in and he sat in the congregation with me and the vicar got up and announced that we were having communion that day. So I just whispered to him, you know, it's just it's just a little simple thing that Christians do to remember who Jesus was. And then she got into the uh, liturgy of what was to be said. And Jesus says, you're going to drink my blood. And this little voice from the back goes, John, are we really going to drink blood? (laughs) You know, we look odd. We do strange rituals. We drink blood. We don't, by the way, if you're here for the first time this morning. (laughs) (laughs) But the words that we use, we so often exclude ourselves so easily from the world around us. And in many ways, that's what we find when we look at Isaiah 58. The context we find ourselves in is one where God is extremely critical of their fasting. Their worship, their religious observations, because it's inauthentic. They're going through the motions. And quite honestly, if you look at this passage and those around it, they're doing religion really well, really well. But the faith element has been forgotten and lost completely. What for the Israelites should have been a sacrifice of worship has become a self-absorbed, tokenistic religion. Something that God actually hates. He used that word. He hates it. It is abhorrent. And if we're honest, I think this remains a danger for the church today. You know, it's enough effort, isn't it, to run a weekly gathering, let alone have house groups, prayer meetings, the coffee rotor, the cleaning rotor. Don't I know it? We've only three weeks old in Bodmin, and goodness me, Sundays keep coming one week after the next, don't they? (laughs) Just doing Sunday can seem enough. But if we think that Sunday is all there is to it, we put ourselves in the same category as the Israelites that Isaiah's addressing in chapter 58 here. You see, there's so much more than simply tokenism that offends God
1: fundamentally
0: what they've done is they've got it wrong. The fasting God requires, he says in verse 6, is not tokenistic worship, but a faith that makes a difference to those around them. A faith that reflects God's heart for the poor. A faith that reflects God's heart for the downtrodden and the dispossessed. And it's there right throughout Scripture. And as believers, we believe that we've been set free, that we're living in freedom. And therefore, the logic of that is that therefore we bring that freedom to others. We share it because we are representatives of God's heart for the people around us. Folks, if you know Jesus here this morning, the task is simple. It is to introduce other people to him too. It comes with the territory. And it takes time. And it takes effort too. The previous church I've just come from, I had the privilege of heading our community work. And one of the uh, efforts that we undertook in order to reach the people locally was that on once a term we'd spend a day with uh, a number of volunteers from the church would get together to go decorating, gardening, cleaning houses, whatever, for those referred to us by local partner agencies. I ran that for 13 years and had the privilege of seeing a number of those people we first met as clients ultimately becoming friends through church and even better than that, becoming friends of Jesus through church as well and coming to faith. And just as I was leaving, we were talking a little bit with the team there about those that we'd met and those that we'd seen make real progress. And by no means was it all of them. It was a very few people, but those that did made significant progress. And they did so for about six to eight years. So six to eight years of us going back, gardening the garden again, which they'd let go since the last time we were there. We just consistently went back and back and back, whatever it was. And one of the people on the team said, John, it took six to eight years for one of them to even come to church. And I said, yes, but it only took six to eight years for that person to come to church. You know, we saw people who didn't trust anybody trust this wacky group of Christians to turn up in their house and decorate it for them and then to say next time, well, maybe next time you could come back and do my garden, then let us do their garden and then let us in to do something else and something else and something else. And then we said, would you like to come to church? They went, well, okay, maybe I will. Six to eight years, but only six to eight years. Can you imagine if I stood here this morning and said, we can reach the whole of St. Austell, and in six to eight years, this church will be packed to the gunnels with people. But it's only going to take six to eight years. How many of us go, oh, John, I don't know, six to eight years? Wouldn't we go six to eight years? Is that all? Wouldn't we? Please, somebody give me a nod at this point. Because people need to travel with us. They need to see that we are authentic. They need to see that we're genuine. And folks, in this country, there is hope. You know, I talked about the church being at this state where people don't really understand what it is and sort of ignore it. But at the same time, street pastors is going rampant throughout the UK as the church reaches out to the nighttime econ- economy. The Trussell Trust now has over 400 food banks across the UK and I'm proud that this church is one of them. Our own food bank here, last year alone, we fed 2,521 people. It's an increase of 10% on our figures for 2015. And I promise you folks, that's only going to go on to rise again this year. Of that number, 888 were children. That means that there's 2,500 people who we might not have had contact with who now know that this church is a church that cares. I was in the food bank on Tuesday and a chap came in, let's let's call him Mike, he came in on Tuesday. Mike was in a pretty messed up state. He said he was an alcoholic. He said that he only really drank enough to make sure he went back to sleep because he really didn't get out of bed most days. Volunteers asked him whether he had any friends or family and he said, no, not really. I'm pretty much on my own. All I do is drink so that I'll go back to sleep. So we offered to pray with him. We offered to pray that Jesus would break his alcoholism. And he basically went, well, that's going to do nothing, isn't it? I said, well, we believe it, so we're going to give it a go. He let us pray for him. We chatted on further We didn't see him suddenly come to Jesus and repent. It would have been a great story to share this morning, wouldn't it? But what we did see was Mike walk out the door with a smile on his face, knowing full well that he could come back, and having been referred to a number of agencies who we felt would be able to help him. Six to eight years, folks, from a guy who's an alcoholic not far from here. Six to eight years might be all it takes to move him on. You know, we're people who are called to bring freedom. And you know, Jesus doesn't leave us alone in that. But actually, there's a great promise, and God shares it here in Isaiah 58, verses 8 to 9. He says that the light will shine, and then your light will shine. Then something joyous about us will shine, and people will see what the difference is. Jesus echoes this, of course, later in the Gospels, when he talks about lamps being hidden, rather than exposed as they should be. The light is within us. If we know, Jesus, that light is within. We've been set free. We're living free. And now we have the responsibility of sharing it. We've met the living God. Now others need to see him in us and through us. It's an amazing mystery of faith here as well. Look at this line. And your healing will quickly appear, says the Lord. You see, we're not just doing this and we're doing it in such a way that sort of, well, it's sacrificial and we're doing it and it's really hard work. But actually what God says is that as we do that, so we discover more of this life in all its fullness that we found for ourselves. More of that whole healing comes to our relationship with God. It's that in bringing freedom to others, we understand better what it means for ourselves. When we see people set free, don't we know so much more of what it means to be free? part of setting up those placements i talked of earlier we used to have to go and do assessment visits one of the greatest privileges of my life without a doubt is to be invited into these homes of these vulnerable people to assess what needs doing do the dear old health and safety check and all that i visited a lady only a couple of years ago he was in a small flat she was the most obese person i've ever seen absolutely huge and she said to me that she'd been isolated for four years, had not gone out of the flat in four years. Somebody came and did her shopping for her. Other than that, she'd not gone out of the flat for four years. Since a couple of old people on the bus who thought they were whispering to each other, you know how old people whisper, and had said some comment about what size she was and how disgusting it was. So for four years, she hadn't left home. We talked about what needed she doing. She just wanted some furniture moved and a little bit of changes to the flat. We agreed we'd do it. And at the end of it, as I did for all clients I visited, I'd said, would you like me to pray with you? And she said, yes, please. So I got the privilege of praying for this lady. So I prayed this hearty prayer, and at the end said, amen. Looked up, and lo and behold, the woman prayed for me. (laughs) And she thanked God for me. She thanked God for the church that was going to come and help us. I said goodbye. I went outside, and I bailed my eyes out. I tell you, I was sobbing away. Folks, if we think that this call to bring freedom is one that is simply on our effort and that we go out there and on our own as battlers for Jesus, we've missed the fact that actually God is already out there at work bringing freedom. And the privilege we have is that we are called to be part of that, to come alongside what he's already doing, to go into the homes where he's already at work and say, can I pray for you and then get prayed for in return. Wow. God calls us. But he's already at work out there. But we have to go looking for it. And if we're honest, this is where the challenge comes. It's the biggest problem of evangelical faith. That is, those of us who believe in the Bible, those of us who believe that we have to be in in that right place with Jesus. And we do. Let me make very clear, we do. And if you're here this morning you don't yet know Jesus for yourself, you need to. Ask one of us before you go this morning, find out the reality of what it is to know Jesus, to be set free, to live in that freedom. But folks, you notice it doesn't stop there. We're set free, we're living free, but we're bringing freedom. And that's the challenge, it is not all about us. So often what we sing sadly reflects that. I'm not talking about just this church, I'm talking about the church in the UK and across the world. We sing so much, it's all about me and Jesus. And it is. But it isn't. Do you know what I mean? It starts there. But Jesus said to go and make disciples. He didn't say, and then try something else. He said, go and make disciples, because that's what it is. It's to go and make disciples. And when we've done that, what do we do? We go and make disciples. And we keep doing it, and we keep doing it, and we keep doing it. Because actually to live like this is sacrificial. It involves a sacrifice on our part that says we are not going to live just for ourselves, but we're going to live for the people that God's calling us to as well. And it will cost us. It costs us those days when really we'd like to be doing stuff for ourselves, but we know that there's others in need. It costs us when actually we say, well, actually, it's not all about me. I do need to make sure that my finances support mission as well as just the things of my own household. And so we have to get out there. We have to explore what that means. It can be as simple as telling our friends and neighbours about Jesus and inviting them to an event here at church. It can be as simple as recognising someone's need and going beyond the normal parameters that people might go to to offer that support. It's looking at our week and volunteering regularly at Food Bank or some other outreach to those people in need. Because, you see, with it becomes a promise of a reputation. Love this line. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwelling. I'd be quite happy just to be known as someone who helps other people in the name of Jesus. Restore a broken wall sounds a bit flash, to be fair. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great to be known as a church that restores what the world has taken from people? Folks, we can be because we go to where God is already at work. We need to be known for who we represent. We need to be known as a church that shares. I worked with young people for many years and uh, had the privilege of particularly running residentials with them, which I've loved. They were always the prime moments of young people really meeting God. And we had amazing success, really, in the sense that many of the young people we worked with who came to faith went on to explore that faith and continue it into adulthood. And so at one point many years ago, we um, did a little interview uh, procedure with a number of people who'd been with us to ascertain what had led them into that depth of faith that meant that it lasted for life, if you like. And when we were doing these sort of interviews, the weekend away came up as one of the most significant times for these young people so the interviewer said to one of these young women, why was the weekend away so special? And she said, oh, I particularly remember a speaker called Becky. So the interviewer said, oh, that's great. What do you remember about what Becky taught you? And this young woman said, I don't remember a thing she said. I just remembered that she loved God. And folks, to a certain extent, people out there won't remember a thing we say, but they will remember whether we love God. They will remember whether we love God. We're going to be remembered for the people we are and for what we do far above anything that we say. And to recap what I said at the beginning of this little talk, so often we're known for what we say. God, please may we be known for what we do, which leads us to a point where we can say the truth of who Jesus is and how people need to know him. Because there's a great highlight here as well, verse 14, where he says this. Isaiah says, Then you will find your joy in the Lord. You know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, go and make disciples. Today, it remains the same. That's our remit. That's our manifesto. That's what we're called to. And seeing that freedom impact people is still the most amazing things that we can see. I said there was a challenge to this, and I want to end with this. And I do this graciously, but I do it pointedly too. You know, we looked at James last year, didn't we? That whole idea of verse 22 of chapter 1. James says, do not deceive yourself by just listening to his word. Instead, put it into practice. Which is a great line, but a pain as well, isn't it? Because actually it means that we've got to read scripture and we've got to act upon it. So I just want to pose us a few questions as we finish. It's time to get practical. Where is God asking you to bring that freedom? Not where is John Langford putting a guilt trip on you this morning. But where is the Holy Spirit prompting you to think, yeah, I need to do a little bit more there. Or yes, Lord, you're right. That person at the workplace that I've struggled with, actually I do need in your strength to get alongside them. That neighbour, that family friend... That family member. That person you've not called for months because actually they're just a pain in the rear. But God's at work in their life and he's waiting for you to pick up the phone and call him again. Maybe some of us actually need to take stock of our week and look at actually what the focus of our week is. And it may scare us because we may realise actually it's all about us. There's very little there about the kingdom of God and the other people that we might encounter. Maybe we need to look at opportunities around us to volunteer. It doesn't take hours, but it makes such a difference. And maybe it's practical in other ways too. Maybe at this point in life you're so busy with other things and that's fine. But there's a way you can help practically too. Finances are needed for different things, for different organisations. On a very practical level, we're going to change things as to how we oversee the food bank and run things as a church in terms of the way that we supply things. So we generally appeal on the back of your notice sheet, is there this morning, uh, for a whole range of things and then we underline the things that we're in need of. For months we've been in need of UHT milk and fruit juice. So it seems logic that we ditch the whole, these are the whole range of things we need. Because if as church we could just do UHT milk and fruit juice, you'd save me a lot of hassle as the poor chap who owes to oversee the food bank. And you'd save the volunteers a lot of hassle in what they're not able to deliver. So folks, if you donate to food bank, and if you don't yet, then even if that came from this morning, that would be good. Please bring UHT milk and fruit juice. And a little PS, we're also short of tin tomatoes, at the moment, at the moment, there's a need. And we're going to have a point where you can leave them at the back of church on a Sunday morning. Or you can drop them in at any point uh, during the week. But please, just get practical in that sort of way as well. Where is God asking you to bring freedom? It's the greatest adventure. As a people who are set free. As a people who are living free. And ultimately as a people who, as we bring that freedom, are reminded again of what it is to set free to be set free and inspired again to live in that freedom.